Hello and welcome to Be Powerful with Liz and Lee. It's a new day and we're so glad you're here. So you can expect to hear candid conversations on what it means to be powerful. Live authentically, live in the midst of ups and downs, productively, and above all else, joyfully. We are so thankful for you, our community of listeners, and we hope you enjoy today's show. All right. Hello, Liz. Hi, Lee. Hey, everybody. Today we have a special guest who, if you are watching on YouTube, you can see our dear friend and plastic surgeon, Dr. Gaurav Bharti. Hello, G. How are you? We are good. I'm good. I hope you guys are good. Excited about talking to you today. Thank you. We're so excited to have you here. You are a board-certified plastic surgeon at Hunstead Cortices Baharti, where you are a co-owner and partner. Um, and if y'all are not aware, it's one of the best plastic surgery centers in Charlotte. You also have a location in Huntersville, um, but you have been one of our go-to Botox men. Yes. And we would just like to say, first off, we're not trading like facelifts for this interview. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> but we should might. we? <laughs> we could. I mean, I'd be glad to, but you guys look so ravishing already. You're, you're not ready for a <laughs> facelift yet. You're sweet. You're sweet. Thank you for being here. So in full disclosure, I will say I have had Botox by this man himself. And thank you very much. So that's really, we wanted to come on. This podcast is about being healthy, well, good health and authenticity. And so you're a friend of ours and also a very well-known plastic surgeon. And I really believe it's time to take the, you know, the darkness or the mm -hmm. secretive part about plastic surgery away. And I think you really address that so well on social media, on your Instagram account. Um, and so since we're about wellness, I would like you to start with helping us understand where, and we have a couple of stories of our own, but where you as a surgeon, a plastic surgeon, help through good health and well-being as far as mental health and physical health? You know, things have changed a lot in the in the past several years, uh, especially in the United States and worldwide. And COVID, I think, has made people change a lot of kind of how they think and behave when it comes to their own um, overall sense of well-being, wellness, and taking care of themselves. And this is something that I have been, been very passionate about, as well as my business partner, Bill Cortesis. And um, is the reason why we practice is that we do fundamentally believe in this concept of overall aesthetic well-being. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is that, you know, there's we have a large segment of our patient population that we take care of that are they obviously want to be healthy. They want to have a great life. And there are instances where there's a disconnect between their external appearance and their internal overall health. And there are things that we can do to help reconcile that. And so when we started to do that and we got to see the impact that what we were doing was not just quote unquote skin deep, it was profound. I mean, we were helping people really regain the sense of themselves, confidence. And so kind of this concept of aesthetic wellness really came to fruition because we realized that like we're not, we are doing way more than just aesthetic interventions. We are actually helping people be and live happier. And so I think that stigmata, um, what was once there, probably, you know, even like five, 10 years ago, where people were very, you know, like, oh, she, she got a X done. She got a boob job. She had her eyes done. She had a face of, she got Botox, she got fillers or he, you know, it, that's going away. And I think um, we were very excited about that, but I'll tell you, 
the overall penetration in the U.S. market, what that what that means is that you know a couple of years ago it was only three percent of the population have had you know aesthetic treatments. Now it's like up to six to ten percent. Um, so there's a tremendous runway for growth, and the nice thing is there's something that's appropriate for everyone, and um, I think that it's really it's really special because uh, you know we're very excited as our our practice is growing a lot this year, and we're trying to really provide you know these kind of the awareness most importantly to our patients. Um, and then once we, we know what they want to get them to be able to do things to get them the outcomes that they want so that they then can live their quote best life and be confident in who and what they are inside as well as outside. I love that. And I think that speaks so much mm-hmm. to what, why you started Hilliard Studio Method, Liz, and kind of that curiosity to you, Gaurav, about when do you tell patients like you can work out so much and then the next step, right? Like we're going to preach, you can't, um, you know, just put anything in your mouth if you're trying to be fit and hope that the workout solves it. Mm-hmm. So where does plastic surgery come in? That's that point at which you encourage people to, to see a plastic surgeon. You know, that's a great point. I will, you know, I have to say in, you know, your studio and, and the, the quality of what you do. I mean, I know specifically, obviously, because my wife, she's fanatical about it and it just makes her happy. And when she can't do it, it's just, she's just kind of down. Um, being healthy, being physically fit, and um, obviously ensuring that what you're ingesting on a daily basis, that's crucial. The most important thing you can do. But there are instances where unfortunately we can't stop the uh, the clock. And so aging does happen. And But there are certain things that we can do where before it was always like big surgery, you know, and, and, and now there's just small things that you can be doing kind of prejuvenating, meaning like things like Botox, things like good skincare, things like small volume, um, volume replenishment with filler, not stuff that's like out West where you're getting, you know, ultra voluptuous lips or over full cheeks. Um, the idea would be that nobody knows, like, I love that concept of just kind of under the radar. Um, but what I really come to realize is that most people, and initially I would generalize this to females, you know, once they get to like their maybe 30s or 40s, they want to retain an overall aesthetic, you know, look. They don't want to look done. They don't want to look like they were 20. They just kind of want to look the same and then keep that versus, you know, be undulating, meaning they don't want to, you know, age. Before what was happening is people would age and then just get like a facelift. It's like, oh, she got a facelift. (laughs) You know, it's like this huge change. Um, And even with with patients' bodies, I think people just want to be stable. Now, there are different phases of life. And a lot of the things that change that, and as you both know, um, my wife knows that when you have a child, everything changes on your body. And I think there are certain instances where the, the most common instance for plastic surgery, at least in, in the population would be after childbirth, because, and some people have one kid, some people have three kids, it can take a significant toll and change the overall anatomy and behavior of like breasts and tummy and all these other areas. So I think those are certain situations where and Liz, I think you and and um, you both would actually know that there are certain instances where like patients can get into phenomenal shape after birth, but they may have excess skin. They may have things that you just, you can't exercise. And one of our old partners um, who's retired now, Joe Hunstead, always would tell patients, you know, when he, they'd come in for counseling, he's like, you know, you can do, you can be healthy, you can exercise, you can eat well. But unfortunately, if there's a, a lot of extra skin, you can't exercise it. You can't make it go away. So a lot of times that those can be the instances when you would do things like a, a surgical procedure. And there are multiple other possibilities, but 
the exciting thing now, which makes me really happy is like, sometimes it's not just big surgery. And I, I love operating. I love surgery. But I also don't like the idea of people having scars. I don't like the idea of people having any stigmata of having anything unnatural. And so things are advancing. I think patients are becoming more attuned with taking care of themselves, doing small things periodically um, to maybe avoid doing a big thing. So it's, it's, I think we're, we're on the cusp of becoming way more advanced, but I think we have a long way to go. Okay. That is such a good answer. And, 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 you know, my age, I mean, I'm older and people ask me a lot, you know, and what have you done and all those sort of things. And I've done small things along the way. And that's what I love about you is you're staying. And that's what I think is important in your business and your, I would say really in your artistry is that you're staying on top of your game. And so you're, you've got your patients more in mind as far as long-term. So now that I'm in my 60s, 68, and I look and, you know, I, I get Botox and I do these things, but I, the last thing I want to do is look like that, you know, we all know that plastic looking woman. Um, and I will say I had, and I've never done this, but I thought what you just said was so interesting about the extra skin, which of course we've all that have had children have. Um, I had a plastic surgeon come to me one time and say, hey, how about I do lipo on you and we'll trade and um, I'll advertise Hilliard City Method. And I, I was incensed by that request because I was very offended thinking, no, it can all be done. And I did not, of course, do that. I would never do, I've never done lipo, never done body work at all, except in my workout. Um, and I think that's important. But your point is there is a place where that is an extra. I mean, it's not like, I like what you just said. You're, it's not a big surgery. It's not the big facelifts. And it's the small things that take you through. 100%. And, and you know, there are instances where the facelift will be perfect. And like facelifts now have evolved also to where somebody still shouldn't know. Like No one should be able to look across the room and be able to see any kind of stigma of you having had it. So I use that as a kind of an example, but at some point it might be warranted and it's, it's a phenomenal procedure and the, the techniques have really evolved, but there are different things now that I think you can downgrade what you would need. And even, you know, I've taken care of multiple um, ultra fitness females, other trainers who've had multiple kids, for example, and like they have not gotten their core back. They have a little something called a diastasis, right? You know, you've heard of that. See a lot that of that. <laughs> and so we do a mini abdominoplasty on them even on an ultra fit trainer, and it has a tremendous effect. So there are certain instances where there can be this, you know, um, ability to utilize some of these interventions um, that can be functional also. You know, sometimes women get over-endowed, for example, with extra breast tissue, and it gets in the way of them being their best overall physically. And so something like a reduction or a lift can be, have a profound functional impact as well as an aesthetic impact. And they may feel more beautiful and sexy afterwards too, because smaller breasts, smaller perky breasts are now in, right? Before it was big, huge, voluptuous, and that's changing. As are, you know, the huge buttock and, and you know, big kind of uh, uh, barriers, that's starting to go back and the pendulum's shifting. So a lot of this has to do with kind of um, what's considered aesthetic at the moment. Um, but I would say, I always try to be cautious about anybody who's trying to overdo anything. Because you, you, I tell patients, like, you got to be ready to deal with this today, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. What are you going to be like when you have kids? Right. So I think that those are just simple things. And, and Liz, you said something that's really reminded me of something. So we do a lot of uh, 
generalized aesthetic surgery, you know, head to toe, um, a lot of body work. But I will tell you, and I tell my patients all this, that, you know, 70% of the, of the outcome is based on my intervention, meaning the actual work that I do. But the other 30% is legitimately them and how they take care of themselves afterwards and being physically fit. So if I did a, a procedure that's, quote, flawless, and they go back to have the same mm-hmm. lifestyle afterwards that they had pre-procedure, it'll be fine. The result will be fine. But if they just invest further in themselves and take care of themselves, I mean, those are the results that I have that people are always like, that's not real. There's no way that's the same patient. So it's really important for people to realize that, you know, surgery, treatments, et cetera, is never a replacement for actually investing in yourself, taking the time, obviously, for sleep, for mental wellness, for physical wellness, for good dietary habits. Um, and so that's something that I think it's missed sometimes with all the noise. And it always goes back to that. So we're, we're just part of this concept of generalized well-being that we can be, you know, a cog in that to help address a specific issue, but you still got to do all the other stuff to be your best. Right. You don't get to pick just one. Lee, you've got to tell your story. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of a perfect segue. I am someone who has had a breast reduction a long time ago, right after college. Um, And I always laugh. I'm happy to share it because I'm always like, oh, I'm the one who's done the opposite augmentation and then most people in Charlotte, which is fine. But to your point, I was out of college and I'm five, three max. I have a smallish frame and it just, the breast at the time just didn't suit my body. And I had a very low self-confidence and decided to take that route. Um, and it was the springboard for a huge shift right. in my body, physically, how I saw myself, how I felt mentally to kickstart a very healthy lifestyle that I did not have before. And I just am grateful that I did that. Do I need a little lift after two kids in 20 <laughs> years? Maybe. But I mean, to your point, I think it it's so important how it makes you feel physically. It can really change your life. No, hundred percent. And, and th- that's always, you know, people will say, kind of what's your favorite part about what you do? Mm. Usually it's, it's, it's that, it's that the, the stories after of kind of just kind of how impactful it can be and how happy patients are. And, and a lot of times the comments are like, you know, I wish I would have done this earlier. Like this just sure. wasn't, wasn't what I was expecting. Um, and it, meaning it was so much better and the recoveries aren't as difficult. Cause even you probably know that, you know, luckily like a breast reduction is usually not a super painful procedure. Surprisingly, you usually feel good. Like almost immediately afterwards, you don't need to take narcotics. You don't need to take a bunch of pain medicine. Um, but I still think, um, having a procedure is, is scary. You know, patients say I'm nervous yeah. and I always tell them me too. I'm nervous because <laughs> I know, cause I know that, you know, we're taking you, we're exposing you to a little bit of harm to make you better. And I think that's an important thing to, uh, you know, we, we train other, Bill and I train other surgeons in our practice. We have fellows that come in and they observe us and, and, you know, they're always asking a lot of questions. And I would just say, you know, it's an honor. It's a luxury that you have someone who doesn't need anything functionally. They don't like, you don't need to have this intervention, but they want it to be better. And so there's a lot of uh, responsibility that's put on you and they're scared. They're nervous. They could be a mom of three people. She's the key person in their house or they're the primary breadwinner. So um, I always tell patients, I get that same, I get the jitters every time for every case, because uh, unlike like the NBA finals, which is a, it's not winner takes all for one game. It's, you know, series for us, it's, you got to win every time. So it's a championship game every time keeps me and the rest of our team kind of grounded and how we approach things and how you take care of patients and uh, if there is an issue to, you know, be there and address it. 
And so you went to kind of on that note of your certification, you went to Quillen Medical School at East Tennessee State University, right? And then Wake Forest for your residency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so a I, I, girl. I went to um, school in East Tennessee, especially where I met Sarah. Right. Um, at, at medical school. And um, after that was done, we both actually trained at Wake Forest. Um, she did ER, I did plastic surgery. And um, we had the best time. I remember when we went to yeah. Wake, Sarah was kind of like, wasn't sure about it. Like, it was just like, she didn't know if she really wanted to be there. Then she ended up loving it. We loved Winston-Salem. Um, my plastic surgery program was, it was fun. Like, I loved it. Training, you know, people talk about training being terrible or internship and residency being horrible and grueling. I, I enjoyed every minute of it. I had so many great experiences and friends. That's how Bill Cortezas and I met. Um, he was my elder. He'll, 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 he'll laugh at that. He'll but, love that. And we, uh, we started, we were, we ended up becoming pretty close there. When I finished practicing or sorry, finished training there, then Sarah and I were trying to figure out what we wanted to do with the rest of our lives. And we actually moved back home to my hometown in Johnson city, Tennessee, and practiced there for four years. I was on faculty there at the university and um, got real busy there, um, had a great situation, but you know, I could have stayed there, been the big fish in the small pond. And um, we just, we had, we had a bunch of kids, you know, we had our three kids and um, we just realized we, we needed some more. I kept, kept in real good contact, close contact with Bill. Um, you know, I felt like I had built a great practice there, but I wanted to do more. I wanted to be able to, you know, provide more kind of state of the art approach and treatment for my patients and um, wanted to be in a better city. And so um, it was kind of a, and I'm sure, you know, everybody's had important decisions they've had to make in their life and careers. And so I had to basically make this decision to take a big step back, you know, financially and, and from a security standpoint, move to Charlotte. And I remember we bought a house when we came here and I, and I thought, I was like, here's our budget. And we went like three X over our budget. And I was just like, cause like, I mean, the market here is so crazy. It's crazy everywhere, but it worked out really well. Um, I love my practice is amazing. We're, we're really doing some amazing things now. Um, Bill and I are uh, growing the practice a tremendous amount. We're, we're doing unique things and we're getting to work with new younger providers that we're bringing on and hope and facilitating their success as well. And um, it's unique. It's almost, you know, it's like when you have children and they, they, they do well, they win their games or they get good they, they have an achievement. We, we have that kind of sense of satisfaction with all of our team. And you're, you guys are probably the same in your enterprise and your business. It's great to bring others along with you and, you know, grow together and, and allow people to move within your organization. And if don't hold them back and hold them down. So, I mean, I'm, I know I'm still pretty young, but I kind of, that's like the next thing is obviously provide patients the best outcome, but we want to kind of grow the ecosystem for aesthetic um, services and aesthetic wellness and kind of really kind of usher in a new era. So we're doing that local regionally, but hopefully we can, you know, spread this even further throughout, you know, the Southeast, et cetera. Um, so it's, it's really great. I've got, I've got two things to say about that. First of all, you're a big fish in Charlotte. So I'm really <laughs> grateful and thankful that you and Sarah, who's one of our good friends, decided to come to Charlotte. We're all lucky to have you. And then a couple of questions on younger plastic surgeons. First of all, for those you know that have never seeked anything like this out, I was told one time the younger plastic surgeons know more 
and you just sort of said that you were bringing people along, but tell me about how you find, how you discern as a, as a patient, who's a good plastic surgeon and who is not, you know, now before I think, you know, it's like when you would go to the doctor or you'd go to a specialist, you would go because somebody said, you, you just go to this person or this is the person and you just do it. And it wasn't like, okay, fine. That's the person. But now patients really have a lot of resources at their um, hands. Um, most of them are electronic resources where they can do a lot of diligence on patients. And we as providers also have the ability to kind of say yay or nay. So I tell a lot of my patients that, you know, this is a really special time, especially in our space, the aesthetic space where, you know, we're independent of everything, you know, there's no managed care here. There's no insurance here that we, you, you have the opportunity to find someone who's a good match for you. I have the opportunity to make sure that I have someone who I want to take care of. And so, you know, Bill and I, and the rest of our team have no issues, um, you know, telling a patient they're not a good candidate. You know, we've, we brought on um, one of our new, you met one of our other, um, uh, surgeons, um, Dr. Shauna Kleban, and she's phenomenal, you know, the, and we can vet for her because we, we, she did her training for, you know, six years before, and then she spent one year with us. So we trained her on kind of our techniques. But one thing that we've done is that just because I've been in practice for, you know, whatever, 10 years of actual practice, and Bill's been in practice longer, and Joe Hunstead, who was with us, was in practice over 30 years, you still got to, you can't look through binoculars, you got to keep your eyes wide open. And so, you know, when a younger provider or any provider or anybody has some concept or idea, sometimes they have great ideas and you change everything that you're doing. So, you know, I never have an, an issue with changing what we're doing or adding something new. So I think you're right. Sometimes the younger surgeon is uh, more aware of new innovative techniques. They are uh, hungry. They um, also maybe don't have the experience. So it's like this nice blend of we have experience, they have the energy, they have the tenacity, um, and they may, um, you know, have, you know, great novel ideas. And by bringing those together, I think we end up having, you know, the best of all worlds. And so for us, I think the biggest thing that we've realized, we, we want to have someone who has integrity, someone who's going to take care of a patient, who's going to be extraordinarily respectful to our team and staff, probably the most important thing, right? You got to be mm -hmm. a good human. Um, and then from a technical standpoint, that's the part where we can really hone in. So we're able to bring them up from, bring them up from whatever level they're at to the highest level that we're at. And often we get the benefit from it because a lot of our providers, you know, have had training outside at different institutions or different, you know, um, ultra high level trainings. Like whereas we're bringing on a young guy um, to our practice coming up in this uh, fall, who's had completed a uh, specialized, you know, facial plastics fellowship in a different area. So he's going to have a different approach and then we can all share it. Before, a lot of times providers, plastic surgeons, for example, or in, sometimes are very egotistical providers and they're very like compartmentalized and feel like everybody's competing against one another and they might not necessarily, you know, protect each other, help each other, when in truth, we should avoid that because we're always better together. Um, but so what we're able to do in our, our, you know, system is kind of educate and help each other. And so um, education is, you know, kind of quote sacrifice because there may not be direct you know, benefit from it, at least from a financial standpoint, but I'll tell you, it always makes the teacher raise up from a level of their, their level of uh, education and kind of how they can understand, comprehend and process things. So, you know, it's, it, that, I think that's really special. And so when patients need to figure out, tying this back to what you were asking about, how do they find the right provider? I think part of it is visceral, like you literally, who you meet, 
You mm-hmm. can tell that somebody's listening. I think they need to understand what you want. The craziest thing I'll tell you, and I spend a lot of time with patients, is that if, if I, as long as I know what a patient actually wants to achieve, as long as we reach common ground, the intervention, the surgical procedures usually are pretty, not easy, but we can make it happen. But it's all about good communication. So I say that's the biggest thing. You need to make sure that the provider or anybody you see, and this is probably just general life, like right. good communication, mm-hmm. it works. Um, and then doing your diligence, making sure that that person has the appropriate credentials, making sure they're board certified, making sure that they have um, the uh, institution that can back it up. Meaning, what if that doc's out of town? Who's going to take care of you? What, what is the nursing staff like? Uh, you know, if there's a problem, you know, historically, do they address the issue? Are they a good business? I think that's probably the other piece that's there. Um, and I think personality plays an issue too. Like you want to take pleasure in seeing a provider and. You don't want to just see somebody like he's the best, but he's an asshole. Like (laughs) most of the time that doesn't work. I mean, there might be some of that that goes around, but I don't, I don't like the idea of not being nice. So I think you should be (laughs) nice, but sometimes there's a, there's a good match. Like we have, I think we have some people um, that are on staff with that are a little bit more, not harsh, but they're a little more straight to the point, a little more firm, not too conversational. And there's plenty of patients who like that. So like, yeah, ideally we want to match people appropriately because you know, something, you, know, you guys know how it is where somebody, somebody will just go on and on and on and on and on. You're just like, man, just. <laughs> just get to the point, right? <laughs> can, can, I, can I just say, I loved everything you just said, because while you were describing the high energy of the people that you bring into your practice and they make you better and you, you exchange energy and you bring each other up, it reminded me of my business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're our workout business. And we're all about supporting and bringing community and bringing it up and also staying on that cutting edge of new information. And, um, and as far as I've just got to address the fact that you were saying how people decide on a plastic surgeon. I remember when you, I came into your office to get Botox and you walked in and I went, and first of all, I knew you anyway, sort of, but you were dressed like to the <laughs> nines. And you, that might not ma- matter to some people, but you were just looking really good. And I was like, hey, this guy's You're like, yeah, he's got it going. You know, but isn't that funny? And, and so I think it's an individual thing. And, and in my business too, we listen. We listen to the client. You listen to your, and then you say no. And I think that is an also key thing. I don't think being a yes man in plastic surgery is a great idea, which I think we've all, we talk sometimes about, we see a lot of people walking around in Charlotte that maybe they all went to the same person because they all look alike, <laughs> you know? And I think, and I think, you know, to each his own, obviously, if that's what they wanted, you know, that's, that's appropriate. But I think, you know, we're all so unique. Like, I mean, all, every human is mm-hmm. like this beautiful, unique, custom piece of art and you just have to treat them that way. And and I think that is the best way to do it. But again, it's about making sure you know what that client wants, what that patient wants. Because Can I dig with on that a little bit more? Because I had that kind of exact same thought this morning. I'm always fascinated. <laughs> I think it is so amazing of all the humans in the world. Like generally, we all are going to have a head with two eyes and a nose and a mouth and a body and the four limbs, yet we're all so, so, so different. And so my question is, when somebody comes in, and you've talked about this a little bit about communication, are you able to figure out when they really don't know what they want? Like they're so outside of their bodies and selves and they, they see other things and they ask for all these things and you can see the body inside them that 
you as the artist and the surgeon want to provide for them? Like, how do you steer people? You know, I think that's that's tough. And I think, you know, this is one of those situations where you'll get somebody, they'll come in at different points of, of their consideration. So some people are just considering doing sure. something. Some people are like, I am doing this. Yeah. Um, and, and then some people are on the journey of, you know, I, I used to weigh 300 pounds. I've lost mm-hmm. 50. I'm going to lose 100, 100, whatever more pounds. But I just want to at least talk. And you know, sometimes that can be frustrating for me as a provider because sure. not for me, but for other providers, because you're not going to actually do anything with them. But I'm telling you, that's important because they need to know what's going to happen. And so they'll want to literally talk from head to toe. Um, and then others, like you said, are very like, it's almost like, whoa, this person has no idea or they, they're jumping, like jumping around from one side to the other side and two totally different diametrically opposing concepts. Right. I mean, I try to redirect them and try to be like, you know, we need to hone it in. But if they are, if they really are that variable and don't have real fundamental vision of what they want, then I either will say, you know, we just need to come back and chat some more or, you know, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable with kind of moving forward just yet because, you know, I don't think we really know what you want. And um, that, that obviously has taken me some lessons, in, in, you know, in practice to figure that out because at the same time, you want to be productive. You want to um, take care of the patient. You don't want to disappoint them. Um, but sometimes it's, it's the best answer is, you know, no. maybe I'm not the best fit for you. Um, or, you know, maybe we should get a second opinion. Sometimes I'll even like the great thing about our practice. I have other providers who say, Hey, why don't you, I feel like I'm not totally sure about what this is, or maybe you'll be better suited. One of my other, um, partners, maybe I'll have you talk to him or her. Um, and so that's really a nice thing to do. Cause I, I think that everybody, um, sometimes I, just, I might not be the right fit. Sometimes that's the issue. You know what I mean? And sure. so, uh. And it's, it's tough sometimes. Yeah. Hang on. One more thing on okay. that. Do you think people are coming in with skewed visions because of social media and what they're seeing in culture in the world? Or is it helping a little bit? Oh, 100%. It is social media and just societal pressures. It, societal pressures have always been there. But social media has really amped it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of the facial things. But also for body, um, it definitely um, has put different kind of pressures and, and people's inclination to kind of want to have specific areas enhanced or modified or changed is definitely been through social media. Some, I think for good, some maybe a little overdone, you know, uh, you know, some of the, the initial examples were lips, right? Lips were really big right. um, that were driven primarily by social media and then different now, like it's like jawline to have kind of a more defined quote, snatched jawline. Buttock was the big one before you know, now it's like high definition, you know, abdomen and liposuctioning. Um, and then there's all kinds of just kind of an overdone feminized shape. You see how women pose on Instagram. Nobody has butts that are actually looking like that, but it's all in the positioning, the angle, the shape and putting one toe in front of the other. I mean, it, what's surprising to me, and I mean, I think it's everybody, it, it is powerful. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Oh, it's right? here to stay. I'm sorry I interrupted you. You are using your social media so well. Uh, as a plastic surgeon, I look, now I'm going to be very honest. I can't look at some of it. It's it's like whoa, and I just flip through it. But you're showing, like I recently saw one of a woman who had an eyelid lift, and she was wide awake. And you said she had done it 15 minutes ago, and she did it on nitrous oxide, and that is a beautiful use of social media. And she was a normal looking human being, not. I am still I'm still amazed at how 
people want to do this dysmorphia to their bodies, like these gigantic bottoms that went, <laughs> thank goodness those are getting out of style or maybe they're not, but. Yeah. And it's, it is, it's very interesting. And sometimes you're just, mm-hmm. and I think I, I always tell um, other, other surgeons that are with us or other providers, you know, if you don't feel right about something and doing something, you think that it's not the right thing. I think um, you probably maybe shouldn't do it. And, and, and at least talk to that patient, make sure they know what they're getting into. Um, but if it's something that somebody wants and you're able to help them achieve it, it's super satisfying as a provider. So it's like this interesting tension that, we face. And, and, and that is kind of one of those things that goes back to, you know, everybody's unique. Everybody has different desires and wants. So at the end of the day, what's the core thing that drives us or, you know, it makes us tick. It's, it's really to make people happy and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, make them feel good about themselves. So sometimes you got to reel it back in and be like, I can't, I can't make the nose that I want on that patient. It's gotta be the, the nose that they want, you know, when you're doing like a rhinoplasty, uh, it's probably the same. And, and I'm sure even in your your um, yeah. arena, it's, it's a similar kind of concept. Right. Um, and you, and you, everybody's so different and, you know, that you can't necessarily treat them all the same, but at the same time, you have to have some sort of standard. So it's what you guys have built is really remarkable. The um, level of respect that you have in our community is huge. And, and, and the scale that you're taking this at, I, I see that you're in, you know, different cities now, and now you're going to be in, in Charleston also. I mean, it's really remarkable because, the fitness space is very unique and it's very cluttered, has a high failure rate, you know, has people who unfortunately may not be the most savvy business people who get, who really make some bad decisions. And I think you've done the total tangential thing and have created this monumental brand and your level of respect in our community is huge. And then also your philanthropic interests locally are, you know, you're at, you guys are at a lot of events. You do a lot of great good for the community as well. And you know, getting to know you via my wife has been so special, but I am, I'm very impressed by it. And, you know, the unique thing too, is uh, the way that you all carry yourself is really, um, is very special and it all being ratcheted, the, the backbone of it all being wellness is like, is even better, you know? Thank too you. kind. And there's a reason Very. why we're seeing you at these philanthropic events. You're doing the, the same good work, our friend. <laughs> well, and at the end of the day, too, I think, and thank you, I <clears throat> from the lot. bottom of my heart, the, you, you couldn't have said anything that touches me more. But I think the, the sense that you and I have, and we, the three of us have, is a sense of building people up, however that is, whether it's through plastic surgery, whether it's through wellness. And knowing that it is so much more than just the workout, it is so much more than just the plastic surgery, you know, that it is the community and it's the support and the listening and the um, encouragement to eat well and, and be well and to be themselves, whoever that may be. But I think that is one of the secrets to your success too. Yes, the men and women that walk out of your practice are I would say the greatest compliment to you is you don't notice that they've had anything massively done. They're just attractive. The best version of Whatever themselves. version of their 40, 30, 60-year-old self, they just look good and feel good about themselves. And at the end of the day, you just said it. It's about making people happy, happy within themselves. Can I ask you, at what point in your education did you decide plastic surgery and what would you say to people coming along that rope in medicine these days about pursuing their dreams because I mean that's the beauty of it too like we're all doing what we're passionate 
about. And that makes a big difference. I think without any hesitation, I think definitely the best field of medicine is plastic surgery and practicing aesthetic surgery. No doubt. It's, it's wonderful. It's phenomenal. It's very rewarding. It's challenging. It keeps me very occupied and up at night, but also <laughs> uh, it's just fun and I enjoy it. Now, my uh, journey to become a plastic surgeon was um, an interesting one. I, I'm a long line of uh, physicians in my family. My father's a physician. Um, my mom's a physician. And so I kind of knew that I wanted to be a doctor. My dad was always like, you probably should become a doctor. <laughs> I, pro- I, pro- I probably will. But I liked um, I liked using my hands. So I always thought I would probably do something procedurally oriented. And um, when I was in medical school, I really enjoyed actually everything. I loved it. I think medicine is really special. You know, medical school, you learn the art of how to communicate as a doctor. That's really what mm-hmm. medical school is. You learn the language. Okay. And then you got to figure out what trait you're going to be best at and really refine a skill in one thing. And um, I remember liking pediatrics because the kids were awesome. I remember liking psychiatry because it was just, you know, you saw very interesting pathology and I liked dermatology. I liked family practice. I liked um, ENT. I liked vascular surgery. I liked it all, but I did love surgery probably the most. I love the idea of, you know, having the, the um, immediacy that would happen after you do a surgical intervention, you made, you instituted an acute change that led to an outcome fast versus mm-hmm. like in medicine where there's progressive modifications, improvements, and you give them a medicine, you do this, you do that, which is still profound and incredible, but I like the uh, ability to kind of get my hands in things literally. And so I figured out that I would be a surgeon and I did not figure out what I wanted to do. Normally, you should know what you're going to do by your fourth year. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to be a surgeon. And um, I went, I was going to do an away rotation at UNC in Chapel Hill in surgery. And the weirdest thing happened is that the guy who was there as a chief there uh, came from my medical school. And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm doing plastic surgery. Or why don't you just live with me? And you should just do plastic surgery as your mother. Wow. Like, okay, sure. So I do it. <laughs> I love that. So I do it. and. Um, I just saw the craziest stuff. Like you would not even imagine the things that I saw. I saw people who had big rectal cancer resections and basically their sphincter has been removed. So you know what a sphincter does, right? It keeps you continent. And so this poor person would have a life where they would be incontinent their whole life. But what we were able to do, the surgeon was able to take a muscle from the leg called the gracilis muscle. You probably know where the gracilis muscle is on the inner thigh. Take that, rotate that, create a sling so that now you basically had moved something on the body replaced it. And this person now is continent and doesn't have an issue with it. So I saw that. And then I saw someone who had a big cardiac, huge wound where the heart was exposed. Nobody could fix it up, oh, bring in the plastic surgeons. They take part of the omentum, which is the fat layer covering your bowel, put it up here, put a skin graft down there. This person's alive and, and now has a normal life. And then I saw, you know, a lady with breast cancer, you know, and this, this is a thing that most people understand and, um, you know, who's robbed of her femininity and, you know, but they're getting taken care of the cancer is being eradicated. And then immediately afterwards, they're getting reconstruction started. So I was like, this is a really special field. And then I got to see, you know, which is the, probably the most elegant, most incredible, most satisfying surgery probably of all time is a cleft lip repair mm. where a child is born has, you know, um, a significant defect. Otherwise your child is totally normal, but they have this significant defect. Sometimes they can have palatal defects and literally in one surgery it's fixed and it's, you're just putting everything back where it's supposed to be. And um, it, it was just, it led this impression. I was like, oh my God, this is the most incredible field. So I, I was like, I want to do this. And um, 
I came from a school where there wasn't, no one's ever really gone into plastic surgery and it's not, it wasn't a huge school, but you know, I, what, one thing my father taught me is like, you know, in the, in the, in America and the United States, everything is possible and all you have to do is want it and, and work for it. And so, you know, I always believe in that. I try to tell everybody that who moans and groans about how things are in society today. Cause the truth is you're still in the best country in the world. Sure. Um, and so I caught at it. I'm, you know, I was with Sarah too. We had a couples match, which means we both matched together. That's awesome. And so, and I did do a, a rotation at Wake Forest and everybody, we had, I said the best time so that anyway, it all kind of, I got into um, plastic surgery training and I had no idea about like aesthetic surgery and cosmetic surgery. I, I, you know about it a little bit from like, you know, what's done in Hollywood and Beverly Hills, but then I started to get more exposed to it. And I really found that it was a great way to make people just so happy. And I was like, I like that idea. And so that's kind of what the transition was. But in my, when I was in practice for four years, I did everything, all kinds of crazy things like leg reconstructions when people would have horrible accidents and they're, if they, if we didn't do this repair, they'd lose their leg. Um, sternal reconstructions when they would have an infection after, you know, bypass procedure, mm. um, big wounds and holes, and then breast reconstruction, tons of breast reconstruction. So it's a unique field because you literally can operate head to toe. Right. You can take care of any age group, you know, newborns, um, infants, you can take care of old elderly patients, males, females. So it's really special. And, and in the aesthetic space, the same thing, you know, we do, you know, aesthetic things for kids where we'll take care of, you know, um, prominent ears, scar issues, big moles. And it's just a fun, it keeps me, it keeps me um, interested. And now with aesthetics, what's happening in the aesthetic space is that there's a lot of technology. There's a lot of innovation. It's a good field. Um, and it kept, keeps me stimulated. And the patients are really fun and satisfying to take care of. God, wow. <laughs> Makes me want to become I a surgeon. That, was, like, that is I incredibly moving. You know, so often I'll have patients who are wanting to get procedures and they're like, you know, I'm going to lose this weight. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to do all this stuff. And I said, I try to stop them. And I was like, you can't go on a diet. Diets don't work. This right. is about lifestyle. You know, can you, how, what is your recommendation when you have your clients or even some of my patients, like, how do you get them to understand? And then what do you recommend for them? Like, what is a simple idea of how you live healthier from a dietary standpoint, not a diet because diets, I don't believe in diets. Okay. I 100% agree with that. I never have believed in any diets. They don't work. First of all, they're proven to not work. Second of all, I think well, I believe in being happy and the joy of life. And so therefore you're not going to restrain and, and make yourself unhappy. But what they, what I tell my clients and my people is, yeah, I get it. You love, you're trying to lose weight. If you come to Hillier Studio Method, you're going to get in shape. But if you continue to eat you know, the cheeseburger and this milkshake or whatever it is you choose that is unhealthy for your body, you're going to stay where you are in the weight game. One thing I've learned to do with my clients and it works is I ask them to, you know, I have them like maybe even just a 48 hour food diary. And I see where they're maybe adding something small. The big changes, it's sort of like you just said in plastic surgery, the big changes are kind of old school. The small changes can make huge uh, results down the road. So, for instance, they're going to Starbucks every day and getting a latte. Okay, let's just taste and see what coffee tastes like. Go in and have a coffee, <laughs> right? Let's see what coffee is. And Or if they have to just have to have dessert, 
sugar because we all know sugar is pretty much the devil addictive. and it's addictive and it's, you know, we've done, they've done all kinds of studies. It's more addictive than cocaine and such and such. And so, but they still really are needing it or want it. All right, cool. Have a, have your pie or whatever you have right after you have your dinner of whatever it is. And just for that week, cut that pie in half, throw it in the trash can. Do not recycle it. Do not take it to your friend down the street, except for her to eat, throw it away. So you one small step at a time. This is all I tell my clients. One small step. It's little things. You're changing your habits and you're still enjoying life. And so maybe you're having too much wine. You're dropping it back to that one glass of wine. Maybe you're having too much meat. You're dropping it back to, you know, one red meat a week. It's the small little things that don't make you feel like you're living, punishing yourself. Because I think that's the success comes in fulfilling the desire and feeling in, encouraged and empowered by your own, look at me, look what I've done. Right. Right. And so, yeah. And I, I think a lot of us know kind of generally about good health and clean eating and plant-based diets and mm-hmm. protein and good nutrition, but sometimes we just need a little help, whether that is, you know, checking in with somebody, that accountability a little bit to, to bring some more awareness to the table. You know, know, I've found a lot of the issue too is um, like, for example, when I'm taking care of of moms, the family unit has a big play in it is that you have kids at home, you have a husband at home. And if any of those, so kids, you know, your kids have to sort of be on some sort of healthy related diet, or you have to be willing to be like, I'm not going to eat that kid's easy Mac or whatever, like all this stuff. And like, that's what makes it hard. Or if you have a spouse yeah. Right. smoking for example i have a patient who wants to get surgery and they're like, you can't you have to stop smoking i can't do the surgery um and that's not super common but it still happens but if you have a spouse who's smoking it's it's sometimes it's not just like them it's like you know you have to get the whole the whole family oh, has wow. to be on board because you just don't need to be exposed to yeah. food that is not going to be healthy because sometimes there is this it when it's just there and it's taunting you you may yeah. want to have it or and and also waste like i don't like wasting stuff that's a generation that i grew up in Versus now it's like, part of me is like, okay, fine. I'd rather you not eat that stickers bar, throw it away. But like, I can't be generous. Like you just ate it because like you spent yeah. money on it. Um, <laughs> so I think it's, a, it's like a weird tension there too. And um, the hard thing sometimes too, is for someone, if you, eat, if you want to really eat really healthy, like my family and wife were out of town, they were out of town this summer for like two weeks. And I was just like, you know, I had to fend for myself, which I, I don't cook. Like I just, I'm a consumer. I just want to be taken care of. But then I was, but I was like, right, I'm going to buy something to be really healthy. And like, I could tell, I, I, my body changes very quickly. Like I can like, mm-hmm. like kind of, you know, lean down rapidly, like in a week or two, I can just, you know, I can see my veins, I can do all this stuff. But like, I was like, I knew what I was spent, what I was buying. And like, I, I know how to, you could do it. And you're just, you have to spend more money. It's like, yeah. you, people need to know, like, it's an investment in like, yeah. and you also have to like, it's almost like palatal retreatment too, because the food should taste good, but it shouldn't taste like incredible. It's like this weird concept that we are infatuated with, point. like, you know, oh, just like this, enjoying the taste, enjoying the the fruits of like your labor and like eating all this decadent stuff. It's weird. It's like, <laughs> you almost have to like pull that back and like, agree enjoy that at specific time points. But like you said, Liz, and I, and I really appreciate that because you're right. You got one life. Mm-hmm. You never know what tomorrow is going to bring. You need to enjoy today. But I think there's a good balance of how to do that. And I think figuring that out is very much a personal thing. And I'm mm-hmm. sure we all are, are mm-hmm. you know, face that struggle. 
Yeah, we do. And and with you, with I thought you had four daughters. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. It's just when you they were said in, three a minute ago. Well, when they were in Tennessee, they had the fourth okay. one here. Because I know Sarah was in <laughs> class, very pregnant, and came back looking amazing. By the way, after that, there are four and she girls. Yeah, there are four beautiful, amazing girls. But okay, so you've got you've got the challenge of, and mm-hmm. I only had one child, but. I think one of the things we do as parents is model our behavior and definitely our food behavior. So I'm sure with four girls, you've probably got to have different things. But I, I am of a, of a belief that there's got to be a way that the whole family can eat healthy and, and happy. You know, like right. they're kids. Now and then they're going to want a chicken nugget, whatever. Great. But at dinner time, at one meal a day, it feels like everyone should have the same thing. Now, we're not going to be in some illusion that everybody's going to get to sit down and and have that one-hour discussion that we all expect and wish we could have every day with our family of six, but the the consistency of a healthy but tasty, that is a challenge, but I know that it is doable. At least with my one child, we didn't always eat healthy, but we always ate the same thing. You're you're so right on that. You know, it was funny, the... And I think uh, I think Sarah, I'm lucky that I have her because she she obviously is the glue and does all the right things for all of us. Um, when we they were gone and they came back after their two week trip to New York and Fire Island, you know they were eating out a lot, everything, and they do a little bit of eating in the in the place that they were staying, but it was predominantly eating out. The girls were just like, we just want to eat at home, we just want uh-huh. to cook, and and it was just like so even they can tell. I think so yeah. because they've been used to kind of a a, a more stable, more healthier um, option. Cause when you're eating out, that's a tough thing. When you're eating out, I mean, usually right. no matter what you do, it's not typically the healthiest. I mean, you can be careful, you can make good decisions, but it, but often you're getting some pretty loaded, uh, caloric things that are done so that the taste is, you know, this really bold, so robust taste. Coming back, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that just getting that processed out first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think looking at, the health of our kids, the this, the same thing we say about putting on a seatbelt should be the same as what you put in your mouth, right? Like that same mentality yeah. of protecting our children's health the best we can. Like don't run into oncoming traffic. Maybe don't eat a box of donuts. I mean, right. like if you kind of look at it that way, I mean, we're a real privileged society that has access to food and not all yeah. of it is very good for us. But if we start with those basics. Basics. Oh, well, speaking of those four girls, you know, you need to probably go do something with them. It sounds like a swim meet today. Speaking of two of them are gone and the other two are somewhere here, but luckily I don't hear any screaming, but that's usually a a dangerous sign. That's good. You've been gone too long. It got too quiet. I love it. Well, you are such a treasure for, for us as friends, but also for this whole community in Charlotte. And I hope everybody enjoyed listening to this because I've got even more questions when we get off the air and I'll, I'm going to be seeing him soon. (laughs) Time to go back. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are great. We appreciate oh. you very much. And, and this has been fun. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And come back again. Uh-huh. We'll do. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to us today, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can now find our podcast on YouTube. Yeah. If you liked it, please share, rate, and review. We love five stars. And we hope you'll work out with us online or in studio at hilliardstudiomethod.com.